Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Can we give a hand to Dan? Those were like hard words. Yeah, he prayed, which is like such a five thing to do. He was telling me, he was like, yeah, I like listened to a bunch of recordings last night to make sure that I was going to do it right. I was like, okay, nerd. Um, (laughs) um, But my name uh, is Claire Wyatt, and I'm one of the people that you get to see up here from time to time upon occasion. Um, And we're going to talk about this Acts passage today. And so I am, I'm honestly a little mean because... 
Well, Becky preached one verse last week. I'm only focusing on two words, and I made you read like 20 verses, so I'm sorry. But if we keep going at this rate, well, like somebody's going to be up here and just preach about one letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and we'll get into some really crazy like mystic stuff. And, but you guys are Genesis, so you'll love it, and it'll be fine. Um, all right, so who knew it was Pentecost Sunday today? Anybody? A, f- a few people, right? Like, I, I didn't until I was like, oh, look, Pentecost Sunday, fun. Um, so let's do our first uh, all play because hopefully, hopefully by now you know that I, I really like all plays and I like to do all plays. Um, and if you're new to Genesis, all plays are kind of one of the things that we do to make sure that we're not just hearing from the person up front, but we're hearing from the voice of the community too because we believe that the voice of the community is better than just the person um, up front. So, can anybody give me like a brief 101 of what Pentecost Sunday is? This is like for a thousand Torah points. Yes, no? Yeah, gosh, Joe. Totally. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Love it. Um, so it really is, just to summarize what you said, it's sort of this celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit to the early church. So um, it's also probably pretty common, like we follow the Revised Common Lectionary at Genesis, so it's pretty common if you're following that, I'm sure, to hear um, a sermon on the Holy Spirit but I thought I would take it to a whole new level today and just wing it. Yeah? No, I'm kidding. I totally prepared. <laughs> um, <laughs> did that one play? <laughs> okay. Um, so in all, to be totally honest, about a month and a half ago, I sent this like very panicked email to Steve that I was going to read out loud, and then I like reread it, and I was like, no, there's, it's too anxiety-filled. Um, but I was I realized that I was going to preach and it was Pentecost Sunday and like the Holy Spirit's a big part of Pentecost Sunday and I, I, I panicked um, because if I'm being honest, I feel pretty ill-equipped um, to tell any, anybody anything about the Holy Spirit. Um, so I just finished reading this book called Falling Upward by Richard Rohr. Has anybody read it? I would, a couple people, I would highly, highly recommend it. It's, it's really wonderful. Um, and one of the things he talks about is something called the first and second phases of life. So he describes um, if you're a person who's in the first phase of life, you're, you've, um, your views are a little bit more binary, it's a little bit more rigid, a little bit more black and white, But if you are in what he calls the second phase of life, you've cast off a lot of that dualistic thinking and are a little bit more comfortable with gray or really as comfortable with gray as we can be. Um, But the problem is that in order to move from that like first phase to that second phase, you have to go through um, a little bit of deconstruction. And my problem is, which makes it a little uncomfortable to be up here, is that I think I'm going through a little bit of that, a little bit of that deconstruction. Um, 
and I don't know if I'm at the beginning or the middle of the end of it. I like really hope that I'm at the end of it because it's been a couple years now. Um, but it's really hard and it's calling into question a lot of what I grew up believing and what I was a lot of like what I was very comfortable believing. Um, but here, here is what is good is that I know for a fact because I've had conversations with you that many of you in this room um, have gone through um, or are going through something similar. Um, and sometimes I want, sometimes I kind of wonder if that's why we found each other in this just like weird little community in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Um, because I don't know if there's many places in the Twin Cities or in the United States where you can come to church with more questions than answers and more doubt than belief and have it be totally fine. And not even just totally fine, but it's absolutely welcomed. So welcome. I'm going to invite you into my journey a little bit, and the hope is that kind of like if you've ever been in a scripture study, we'll leave sort of with more questions than answers and probably some takeaways, but I don't really think church should really be about answers. So we're gonna be a little bit in the gray today, and I think that'll be fine. Um, so when I was a kid, just a little background about me, um, and then again, when I was in college, I was involved in two religious communities that were pretty legalistic and strict. And a lot of what I'm having to deconstruct about faith comes from those two experiences. And what's, a, what's kind of a, been a bummer is a lot of what I've learned about the Holy Spirit comes from those two experiences. So in both of those experiences, hearing from the Holy Spirit was directly correlated with how spiritual I looked. So like notice the look situation. So not... Um, so things like, did I read my Bible every day? Did I pray every day? Did I go to church every Sunday? Was I in a Bible study? Did I watch the right shows? Did I read the right books? Did I not swear? I'm not good at that one. Um, the list goes on. So you guys, I think the Holy Spirit is weird. Um, and my guess is, is we kind of have the gamut here. We have people who are really resonating with my experience um, and then we have people who, when I say Holy Spirit, are like, I'm sorry, what? What are, you what are you talking about? And then I think we have people who have the whole Holy Spirit thing down and are really get it. Did you laugh? <laughs> yeah, maybe nobody's like that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So we have two types of people. <laughs> all right. So let's do another all play. When I say, and I'm going to, this might be a little vulnerable, but I, let's just do it. Um, when I say Holy Spirit, what are you bringing into the room? Mm, Becky said a history of being filled or not being filled. Anybody else? The part that's with you. Unspoken guidance. Any other ones? Wisdom. Sure. Say it again, sorry. You want more? Yeah, let's do it. What did you say? A call to listen more. Sure. Anybody have a little confusion or like fear or anything like that? It's okay. That's a little bit of a weird thing to admit. I'm just going to assume that there's somebody out there that feels that way. Um, 
But just thinking about it, all of it, all of the good, all of the bad, all of the murky, all of the clear, I just want to acknowledge that this is safe and sacred space and that we will wrestle with it together. So there's this word used in Acts 2, verse 1, that's translated in English as with one accord. And it describes how the believers were gathered. So in Acts 2, 1, if you look at in your, whatever these little paper things are called, um, it says that they were all in one place, but then it describes them being in one place as with one accord, which is the Greek word, give me a little grace, homothumadon. And it means with one mind, one accord, and one passion. And um, according to this, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that because I got home, home, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I can't, you guys, Greek, I don't know. Um, so what it is, it's a unique Greek word used in 10 of its 12 New Testament occurrences in the book of Acts that helps us understand the uniqueness of the Christian community. Homothumadon is a compound of two words, meaning to rush along and in unison. The image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded, which, while different, harmonize in pitch and tone as the in instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master. So the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. So I would say that what we are doing together right now, sharing our stories and experiences, is a part of this word, homothumadon. So let's just keep going. So the Holy Spirit is mentioned in verse 4 of Acts 2, but let's do another all play because the Holy Spirit is named in verse 4, but there's verses before that. How is the Holy Spirit described? A sound, yep. Wind, yep. What else? Did I hear something else? A dove, totally. Not in this verse, but in other places. What did you say, Scott? Filled the whole house. Becky, what did you say? Giving something. Sure. Tongues of fire. Yep. So the two things that I kind of, that popped for me was specifically wind and fire. So let's do another all play. Why would you describe something before you actually gave it a name? Because you're trying to figure out what? You're trying to figure out the name. Ooh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, you're painting a picture. Totally. I love that. Because you know the name falls short, so you're being descriptive. Yeah. So I want to suggest that the author of Acts is describing the Holy Spirit before naming it because he wants us to understand the key characteristics about the Holy Spirit before we're trapped into just knowing her name and before knowing anything about her. So really what the author is doing is using, is using metaphors and similes to describe the Holy Spirit. Um, so when I'm thinking about, when I, I was looking at metaphors, I'm a little bit of a book nerd, so I was like, I kind of want to dig into this. Um, my favorite definition that I came across was from this website called Grammarly, and it says that a metaphor is a figure of speech that describes an object or action in a way that is not literally true, but helps explain an idea or make a comparison. 
So when we come across a metaphor, we can know that it's not something that's literally true, but it's still gonna help us understand what's going on. It's still gonna help us paint a picture. Um, so I am a book nerd, and when I say book nerd, I need to be a little bit more specific. Um, I love science fiction and fantasy, like real hardcore, love it. Anybody else? Am I alone? Yes, gosh, well, you're wearing a Star Wars shirt, so that's even better, yeah. <laughs> I would be too if I had one. Um, so what is in a lot of science and fiction and fantasy books? You know, metaphors, anybody? Metaphors are all over the place in science fiction and fantasy. And who is the queen of metaphors? This might be like biased, but JK Rowling is the queen of metaphors. She just kills it, kills it with metaphors. Um, and symbolism and all of that stuff. And, I, and she is particularly good at describing characters. So I'm, I'm actually, we're gonna do something fun. I'm mostly because I'm just a, also a huge Harry Potter fan. So we're gonna read a little snippet from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, which is my favorite Harry Potter book. And also I would argue the best Harry Potter book. Do not at me, I have my reasons, I am right. Okay, <laughs> that is the only thing that I will say I'm right about in this whole sermon. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, best book. Okay, so if you've read that book, this is a little snippet from when Harry is going on trial because he used his Patronus to protect himself against Dementors. So I'm just gonna, and if, if none of that made sense to you, I am so sorry. <laughs> just like buckle down for a little bit, it'll be okay. I, I promise I'll be done in like two minutes with this part. Okay, so I'm gonna read this out loud. In the complete silence that greeted these words, the witch to the right of Fudge leaned forward so that Harry saw her for the first time. He thought she looked just like a large pale toad. She was rather squat with a broad, flabby face, as little neck as Uncle Vernon, and a very wide, slack mouth. Her eyes were large, round, and slightly bulging. Even the little black velvet bow perched on top of her short, curly hair put him in mind of a large fly she was about to catch on a long, sticky tongue. Anybody know who that's describing? Umbridge? Yeah, totally. It's, and like, with that metaphor, there are things, before we even say, oh, it's Professor Umbridge, there are things that you know about her right away. We know she's slimy, we know she's tricky, she's being likened to Uncle Vernon, which we're like, uh-oh, bad for Harry, not good. Um, but a metaphor brings us there without literally having to say who she is, so we can start to understand who she is and kind of, for this book, understand that she's, she's gonna be a villain and she's gonna play a big part. So let's go back to the Bible. <laughs> I could talk about Harry Potter all day, um, but I could talk, yeah, anyway, Acts, woohoo. All right, so back to Acts. Um, we're introduced to the Holy Spirit as like wind and like fire. So a bit of context, at this point in the story, every, everyone in the room would have likely been a really devout Jew. So if you're a devout Jew and you're thinking about how to describe your experience, you're likely pointing to something that's gonna be familiar to you. So fun fact, when you look at the word wind in Acts 2, it actually isn't wind, but it, instead it means breath. So this is exciting, okay? So this word only occurs twice in the New Testament, and it occurs 19 times in the Old Testament. And the first times it's used is actually in Genesis 2, 7. So I'll read that for you. So it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
So there's something about this moment in the place that the disciples were gathered that brings us back to the beginning. We're back in the garden as God is making humankind and breathing into his lungs the breath of life. So I think we often pass over this Genesis verse too quickly. So if we're thinking about it for a second, if your face is breathing into my face, how close are our faces? They're really, they're really close. Like your face would be like right here. Um, so it's like if you're that close, you either have really bad personal boundaries or like you're, it's like an intimate moment, right? And you're sharing breath. So last week at church, um, I was sitting like back there and during worship, everybody kind of goes and gets their kids and then kids come in and hang out. And Amelia, anybody know Amelia? She sings sometimes. Um, she's great. She was bringing her son Will out from Sunday school and he just had this goofy smile on his face, just being cute. And then he saw his dad, Sean, and his smile got bigger than is possible for this kid and just sprinted towards Sean. Sean picks him up, throws him, and then just tucks him in super, super close. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then I saw Joe and Russell, and I was just like, okay, cool. And then I started being really creepy and looking at all of you with kids and just noticing how close you were, how close parents were holding their kids and just how much sharing of breath that there was. And that is one of the ways that I picture intimacy with God, is that God's face in my face and this sharing of breath that's really deeply, deeply personal. So I imagine Luke, as he's interviewing people, trying to understand everything that happened and talking to someone who was there and them saying, you know, I, gosh, I honestly, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like God's breath. It was like God's breath was on my face. So I wonder if one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is described as a rushing of breath is to remind us of how deeply personal God is for all of us and how much he desires intimacy with all of us. So my dad is here, and he knows I'm going to make fun of him, so he's prepared. Um, but he, has, he actually has a really special relationship with God, and it's something that I've always really loved and admired about him, um, especially the way that he experiences the Holy Spirit. Um, all of his experience and experiences and encounters have been a little intense and kind of dramatic. And I remember as a kid, I was, be, I was a little jealous because the Holy Spirit has never spoken to me like that. Um, and if you guys, if you're in Genesis, you might know there's this thing called the Enneagram. Any Enneagram fans? Um, a lot of you are familiar with it. Um, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's just a personality test. For those of you who are really into it, I realize that's like blasphemy, but I've got, I've got like 25 minutes and I don't want to explain this. Um, but my dad is an eight, so that means that he's like super direct, he's really driven, he's a leader, he doesn't shy away from conflict, he's like intense, he's just like going all the time. And um, I wonder if his experiences with the Holy Spirit need to be so intense because he is so intense. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit is very intimately aware of my dad's personality and so, and is so aware of it so deeply that it knows if it spoke another way, my dad would miss it. 
So then I think about myself, and if we're talking to Enneagram, I'm a two, so all I want is for you to love me, to my detriment, all the time. I'm like, just love me. Um, <laughs> and when I look at my encounters with the Holy Spirit, whether they're daily or in larger moments of my life, they've always been really, really gentle and super quiet, and they're always very, very tender, and I always feel incredibly cared for. And for lack of a better way to describe it, they're always super sweet. Um, and so largely, I think the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like what my guy Richard Rohr describes as a deeper voice of God. He says, there is a deeper voice of God which you must learn to hear and obey in the second half of life. It will sound an awful lot like the voice of risk, of trust, of surrender, of soul, of common sense, of destiny, of love, of an intimate stranger, of your deepest self, or of a soulful Beatrice. So I think, I honestly, I think this is a little too vulnerable for an all play, um, but maybe a good post-church question or something to think about during 60 seconds of silence. But how do you personally experience the Holy Spirit? My, um, I don't think God just knows me deeply or knows my dad deeply. I think he knows all of us deeply. And so I think he speaks to you in a way that's really individual and special for you. Um, and that might be a good thing to just talk about with somebody after. Or even if you're like, I don't know what Claire was talking about. I don't, I don't feel like I've experienced the Holy Spirit at all. Maybe sharing those stories could help you understand. So one final thought for the Holy Spirit being described as breath. Breathing is essential. It's literally what keeps us alive. And so let's not be tempted to think that our experiences with the Holy Spirit have to be these once a year or once a decade type things. Again, Richard Rohr says that the Holy Spirit is everywhere all the time and it's free. So when we breathe in the Spirit, we're walking in deep intimacy with God through the Spirit and it what, it's what sustains our spiritual lives. Okay. I said I would do two. Here we go. Fire. Yay. Okay. Um, so again, we're back in the room with a bunch of devout Jews and they're describing to Luke what happened in that room that was the presence of God as fire. So what, um, what do they mean? This one, the wind one was so easy for me. This one was a little bit more nuanced because I think there's actually a lot of places that you could go to be like, what are they talking about? Um, but I specifically went to Exodus 13, 21, 22 as the Israelites are being led out of Egypt. So I'll just read that really quickly. It says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So here in this verse, the presence of God is a pillar of cloud and fire that's directing the Israelites where to go. Um, and what I love about what we just talked about, the metaphor of wind, is that it's intimate, it's deeply personal, it tells you who you are and whose you are. But what I love about the fire metaphor is that it's action, it's movement. We're being led out of our comfort zones into something completely different. So I want to read you guys um, a little quote of something that I said the last time I was up here in January. So just bear with me. So I, what I said is one side note, if you, which also it was a side note, so I don't think I was planning on saying it. If you've heard me talk about my job at all, you know I love my job. 
If you watch my Instagram stories, you know I worked in a mystical fantasy land that's like literally not real. But one thing I would say is that we can really easily confuse calling with what our job should be. And I don't think that's true at all. I think that I could live out my calling at a completely different job or even if I was unemployed. So fun story, I switched jobs. <laughs> oh gosh, the next time I'm preaching is in December and I like really hope I don't have to experience the unemployment part of what I said. Um, but I, for that job, I loved that job and it is hard to quantify how much I loved that job. I was super comfortable. I knew exactly what I was doing. Um, I worked a ton, but I loved the people, I loved the culture, and I loved everything about it, but I left. Um, and for just a little bit more background, I had this opportunity come up to take on the role that I'm in now, and I talked to, like if you're in this room and I talk to you about it, I apologize, because I know that I talked about it ad nauseum, because I couldn't figure out what to do. Um, and I had kind of made my decision. I was going to talk to who is my current boss on a Wednesday and say thank you for the opportunity, but I love my old job. I'm just going to, um, I'm very satisfied with where I'm at, so, you know, thank you, but no thank you. And really random series of events, my call got rescheduled for a Friday, and I was talking to her on the phone, and she asked me what I wanted to do, and literally out of my mouth, kind of like, uncontrollable was like, well, I'd like to come in and interview. And as it came out of my mouth, it was almost like I was watching words come out of my mouth. And then my body was like, why are you saying that? Um, and I, I was like, what, what am I doing? And I, and I've obviously I'm at that job now, but the whole movement and the whole transition and what has been just this huge, massive shift in my life has really felt um, guided by the Holy Spirit. So, um, and what then was sort of this, what felt like a guiding it before and this like, oh, okay, cool. I guess, you know, I guess I'm, we're going here. So more about the cloud and fire in Exodus 14, 19, we read this. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. So one thing that I would say about this transition is that it's been really hard. So I've been moving, and transition is just hard. I think any time, like if you're moving, if you're, I don't know, if you're like graduating school, if you're getting married, like I think all of those transitions, if you have a kid, all of those transitions are really brutal. Um, and there have been so many times in this new way of life that I've wanted, um, that I've wanted to go, to go back. But I keep feeling this nudge. Honestly, it feels like this nudge from behind me that's saying, "Nope, it's not time to go back. This is where you're supposed to be. Keep going." Um, and I honestly, I don't know why I am where I am, but I know I'm supposed to be where I am. If that makes any sense at all. Um, and it feels like I'm being led into my own little desert, for lack of a better word. Um, so if anybody has ever been to the desert, you know that it's incredibly hot during the day, um, and then it can get really cold at night. So when we think about the Holy Spirit as cloud and fire, I think about the Holy Spirit offering shade in the heat and warmth at night. So really, it's fulfilling our basic needs as we move forward. When we're being asked to move, when we're being pulled out of our comfort zones, we're not going to be left high and dry. So I don't want to keep hitting on my transition being hard, 
Um, but sometimes it's, it's hard to see how some of my needs are being fulfilled. Um, but this past Friday night, I was with a friend that I love, and we were having a really good conversation. And I left towards the end of our meal to go to the restroom and then came back and literally had come back and was like not even done sitting in my chair when she looked at me and she was like, are you sad? And I was super, super caught off guard and a little bit like, have you not been laughing at my jokes all night? Like, I, of course I am not sad. Funny people are not sad, ever. <laughs> so so there's, lots, there's lots to unpack there. That's not true. Um, but luckily for me, I've um, done a lot of personal work and have been in therapy for a long time. And I had a very Brene Brown response, which I was super proud of. I said, wow, you're so professional. Perceptive. I think I am a little sad. Um, and we got to have this great conversation where she really validated a lot of my feelings and validated some of my sadness that I'm experiencing right now. And that hasn't changed. She didn't fix it by saying anything. Um, like, we were done with dinner. She could have just let it lie. Like, we had literally paid our bills. Like, we were ready to go. Um, and I don't, I don't know what she was experiencing, but that was something that I... Um, needed to hear, to hear from someone that cares a lot about me, hearing my experience and saying my feelings were valid, which is just super basic. Like that's just a sentence like your feelings are valid, that's all. Um, and she didn't need to fix anything, she has zero control over anything in my life, um, but just being told by someone, hey, it's okay to be sad, that was, it was amazing. Um, so here's the thing, that was her experience, so I don't know if it was something that the Holy Spirit told her to say or not, but my guess is that it was, but I don't know. But I think it was the Holy Spirit nudging me to be honest with her about my current experience. So as we close, I want to quote um, Richard Rohr again, um, <laughs> three times. This sermon sponsored by Richard Rohr. <laughs> So when talking about the Holy Spirit, he says the Holy Spirit is that aspect of God that works largely from within and securely at the deepest levels of our desiring. As so many of the mystics have said, that's why the mystical tradition could only resort to subtle metaphors like wind, fire, descending doves, and flowing water to describe the Spirit. More than anything else, the Spirit keeps us connected and safely inside an already existing flow, if we but allow it. We never create or earn the spirit. We discover this inner abiding as we learn to draw upon our deepest inner life. This utterly unified field is always given. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.